0: More than 15 million sealed ocean containers enter U.S. ports every year. Is it really possible to scan every single one of them for terrorist threats and contraband? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain... Podcast. In 2007, Congress passed a law mandating that 100% of U.S.-bound cargo containers be scanned for nuclear and radiological materials and other threats. It's been a point of contention ever since, with many claiming that the rule is simply too impractical to be carried out. Last year, its effective date was delayed until 2016, giving the Department of Homeland Security more time to work out confusion over things like the definition of scanning, and whether we can actually subject every container to this process without bringing port operations to a screeching halt. Now there's a new technology that claims to solve the problem. It's the multi-mode passive detection system developed by Decision Sciences International Corporation and based on research conducted at Los Alamos National Laboratory. My guest today, Dr. Stanton Sloan, is President and CEO of Decision Sciences. He explains how the technology works, how it's different from previous systems, how far along it is in development, and why he believes that we really can scan every one of those millions of containers, making our ports and transportation systems safer. So here is my conversation with Dr. Stanton Sloan. Dr. Stanton Sloan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be with you. I want to start by just asking you to explain what is the multi-mode passive detection system.
1: Multi-mode passive detection system, MMPDS, as we call it, uh, is a uh, detection system used to scan cargo containers, vehicles, and other types of conveyances for threat materials, and it uses cosmic ray background radiation to do so.
0: Okay. Now, if you can explain in, in layman's terms exactly what we're talking about here, in what way does it actually use cosmic background radiation to do this?
1: Sure. So, uh, space is full of uh, atomic, subatomic particles left over from uh, supernova collapses and, and other events in the cosmos. Those uh, crash into the upper atmosphere of the Earth continuously, and they rain down upon the Earth those particles have very high energies and as they come down through the atmosphere and down into the earth they go through all sorts of materials. You and I for example are getting about five thousand of these particles, we call them muons, are going through us every minute and um, because they are such high energy, when they go through very dense materials they don't stop, they go through the materials, but the denser the material the more that the particles are diverted or the more they scatter. So what we do is measure the the scattering of those particles as they go through materials, and the amount of scattering correlates very nicely with the type of material. That's how we detect things.
0: How does this technology differ from previous types of detection systems?
1: Most current detection systems, uh, I would categorize two ways. One is uh, radiation detection that uh, detect either cos- the uh, gamma radiation or neutron from radioactive materials. And then there's um, active systems like X-ray, which uh, are used to do uh, similar detection. We are unlike either of those in that we are completely passive. In other words, unlike an X-ray system, we don't add any energy to it. We're relying just on the, the background cosmic ray radiation. And um, we also do the gamma uh, detection mission as well, but it's done a little differently. We use a, a different type of detector.
0: Now, again, what exactly are you looking for with this detection system?
1: Our initial targets were to look for radiological or nuclear threats. And those are typically very dense materials. So the cosmic ray muons are great for finding those. And because the muons penetrate a lot of material, you can't hide from them by packing things in lead. So if you're you're a bad guy and want to smuggle nuclear uh, material, you're going to pack it in lead or steel or something dense to hide it from radiation detectors. Uh, That does not work
0: uh, with the muons. They will go through the steel steel or lead and see the material that's in there. Does it also detect non-nuclear type explosive devices?
1: So in the cosmic ray radiation, there are, there are muons, which I've just talked about. There are also electrons. There's other particles as well, but uh, let's stick to muons and electrons. The difference between the two is that muons are very high energy. Electrons are not quite as high energy. But the electrons um, go through materials. However, they, they do get stopped or absorbed, depending on what the material is. So we measure um, the amount of that absorption. And we also measured the scattering that we talked about before, that that angular change, and those two measurements are helpful in finding other types of materials, for example, conventional explosives, contraband materials, and the sort.
0: That's an older technology, isn't it? Isn't that part of older detector systems? The the uh, use of electrons?
1: Obviously, electrons and muons and subatomic particles go back some years to to. Um, Early physics research in actually 1920s, a gentleman named Millikan uh, first detected them. But um, that's the first time they've been applied to an operating system that is strictly passive to do uh, what's
0: called non-intrusive imaging. So what is the status of these systems? Are they up and running in various places, or is it still just in the testing phase, or what?
1: It's a new technology. Uh, we have a completely operational system in Freeport in the Bahamas at the Freeport Container Port. And we have a system in our laboratory in California. We've also sold a couple of uh, smaller systems for R&D purposes to a couple of uh, uh, to a overseas customer as well as to a U.S. company uh, out on the West Coast. So there's a few of them around, but it's a uh, pretty new technology.
0: What does one of these units cost?
1: It's comparable to, uh, to an x-ray system. It depends on what size it is, where it's going, what the installation looks like, but it's, uh, it's comparable.
0: Which means, I mean, give me a price range just to get a sense of the investment that would be required to have one of these things on site?
1: It depends on how big it is, anything from a couple hundred thousand dollars to a couple of million dollars, depending on the, the, uh, what, you, what it is you want to scan.
0: Have you had interest from various other port areas in the United States or in the world? Any serious interest in, a, in purchasing and adopting and using this system?
1: Yes, there's uh, quite a bit of interest, and in, we're in discussions with uh, several people. We have a variety of proposals out and um, are anticipating uh, some contracts soon, hopefully.
0: The actual inspection per container isn't that lengthy, right? Is it only about 45 seconds to, to pass through the system?
1: The logic on the system is that we, because the, the number of containers that are, that are likely to contain threats is such a low percentage of the overall flow of commerce, the system's designed to clear non-threat, uh, or containers that contain no threat as quickly as possible. And so the number you're referring to is the, is what we call the average clear time. And it's running about 35, 45 seconds.
0: And if it does detect something, obviously, does that require a secondary inspection? I mean, a physical inspection at that point? Or does the system itself, uh, is it set up to make a a deeper analysis of what's in the container before it's opened?
1: Yes, you you have two choices. Um, You can leave the material in the container, or sorry, in the scanner and scan for a longer period of time to determine what's in there. Or you could move it to a secondary, a dedicated secondary scanner. Because the system is um, three-dimensional, in other words, it, it locates threats in three dimensions, uh, if you want to use a separate system for secondary scanning, it could be very small. So it really depends on what the concept of operations is, but you can do it either way. So it's good for primary and secondary scanning.
0: Now, as you know, we are currently embroiled in a debate on whether it is logically feasible to scan every single container that enters a U.S. port or a seaport or an airport or anything of that kind. Do you believe that the technology of this system solves that issue and does make it actually feasible, despite the fact that these containers that enter the United States in a given year number in the many millions?
1: Yeah, it's about 11 million containers a year, so... Um Uh, My answer is yes. Uh, That that was the purpose of the system in the first place was to enable uh, to provide a technology that that enabled compliance with the law. Law requires 100 percent scanning. So, uh, yes, I think it does.
0: Where would these units be set up in addition to obviously seaports, airports too, I guess? Would there be inland locations where they could be of use as well?
1: Sure, rail yards, uh, border crossings. It's a great system for, um, uh, for checking vehicles coming across the border because uh, people are typically in those vehicles, you can't radiate them with x-rays. So uh, this is a good system uh, would enable checking every vehicle at the border, for example.
0: Have you attracted interest from government regulators, from Customs and Border Protection or other agencies? Have they weighed in on the feasibility or their opinion of this technology?
1: They're evaluating it. We uh, currently have a contract with uh, with DHS and, uh, in fact, uh, uh, just completed one phase of testing in Freeport. And so uh, the government is evaluating it as we speak.
0: You actually developed this. It became a marketable uh, system when?
1: Well, we started on this uh, several years ago. It, it originated at Los Alamos National Laboratory. That's where the technology was originally demonstrated. Um, Some entrepreneurial folks got together and put up some money and acquired licenses to the technology and then uh, also uh, invested in further development. That all culminated in a a system, uh, what I would call a demonstrator system, a proof-of-concept system in 2011. From there, we built a full-scale system, which uh, is the system that is now in Freeport in the Bahamas. That went operational in August of 2012.
0: And that's the only one so far, as you say, that's been in full operation since that time?
1: For cargo scanning, we have two smaller systems which are being used for research purposes. One uh, was sold to the U.K. and another one to a company uh, here in the U.S. called NS Tech. And those are basically uh, doing research work.
0: What has been the experience of its use at Freeport Container Port for what is now over two years? Has it detected suspicious shipments? Has it Found anything or uh, or not
1: in uh, Freeport that is uh, our test system. It's not an official Bahamas system, so uh, the answer is you know we have found no threat materials, but you know basically we're using it for testing. We've scanned a variety of containers we've uh, discovered some unusual radioactive materials and a few other things there as part of that test program.
0: What's taken so long for it to actually – maybe maybe you don't think of this as being long because you understand where I – whereas I might not understand all the different hoops you have to jump through in order to get this on the market and, and, and achieve a, a point of full use. But why not now? Why, why are we – what are we waiting for basically? I would think that there would be a lot of ports that would jump at the chance to, to use something like this that could uh, scan things so accurately and so quickly
1: well one of the one of the answers I think is that um this is a fundamentally new technology it's never been done before, and so people you know when you introduce something new people always wanna understand you know if it's if it really works and so the the time to uh evaluate that and convince everybody is um uh, has uh been <clears throat> from my point of view been fairly lengthy. so so that's part of it um but the the government is you know moving along They're evaluating it and uh, we expect further testing in the uh, early part of next year.
0: Further testing early part of next year. When would be your most optimistic hope for when this might actually be available on the market and being used on a regular basis by various ports, seaports, et cetera?
1: It is on the market now. We have a variety of proposals out. I, I would anticipate, in fact, we'll have um, several signed contracts probably before the government, uh, before the U.S. government completes its testing.
0: So this could be up and running in additional ports in 2015. Could be. Are there any types of threat materials that it is not designed to detect?
1: We do not do biological detection, uh, so that's that's not uh, that's that's one category of thing that we do not work on.
0: Is there any such system in existence that does?
1: Uh, there's a variety of, of biological sensors. Yes, yeah. we use different technology, but uh, but there are systems that do that.
0: Of course, as good as the technology is, there's also the political environment. As I said before, quite a bit of debate on whether this is a, a feasible thing to be doing. And if you've proven it technologically, that's one thing. But do you anticipate some potential political barriers, taking, in, taking into account the fact that this has been a little bit of a controversial issue up to this point?
1: Well, sure. There are people that are opposed to scamming,
0: um, and uh,
1: I don't anticipate that they're going to change their positions. Um, I think that operationally there there 's a lot of advantages for for this type of system. The fact that it 's passive removes a lot of the objections that um, have heretofore been forwarded to uh, you know objecting to scanning so um I am hopeful that people will start to recognize that it 's in our interest to prevent the you know sorts of things coming into the u s that we're that we 're targeting you know The other thing you have to understand is if something Bad were to get into the supply chain you don 't have to have an actual event in other words something doesn 't have to actually blow up. All you need to do is find something bad in the supply chain to have severe impact on things. I mean you can think of the the Long Beach strike uh, a few years ago. you know the impact was like a billion dollars a day so if If something like that are to happen, you need some way of uh, getting commerce flowing again. And uh, I don't know how you do that if you don't have the ability to actually scan containers and and assure yourself that nothing else is in there. So I think all of those arguments ultimately are going to prevail. Um, We're working hard to convince everybody of that.
0: As you know, one of the most controversial aspects of this issue is the proposal that the actual scanning take place in the foreign port of exit long before the container gets to the United States, creating all kinds of diplomatic and political ramifications uh, as to whether that's even possible. What do you think about that?
1: So, the objections from overseas, uh, a lot of that has to do with the active systems, which are a health and safety risk. Um, and imposing that on a foreign port is, is a bit of a political problem. So, that goes away with this system, it's passive. The other thing that we can offer. In addition to the nuclear and radiological detection, um, once you are able to detect contraband, there is a great incentive for uh, those types of systems to be put into the foreign ports. You know, one easy example is tobacco. Tobacco smuggling represents uh, something like a $50 billion a year uh, tax loss um, globally. So if you can discover smuggled tobacco, for example, you can change the economics pretty quickly. You don't have to find all of it, even if you you only find a small part of it. So having a system that has dual capability enables the deployment. It doesn't have any of the the risks, the health or safety risks. And because it can do both missions, you create an economic incentive for it to be deployed. So I think that's a real advantage, and I think that removes a lot of the, the resistance to this
0: politically you think a lot of the objections, potential objections of foreign governments goes away uh, with with that argument? Yes, we do. Sketch out for me what this thing looks like. How big is it? How big is the unit? And um, how much space does it take on a terminal, for instance?
1: So, again, uh, depending on what you want to scan. But let me take the Freeport system. Uh, That is sized to scan a tractor-trailer with a forty foot high cube shipping container the entire scan the entire vehicle and container that is about thirty six feet wide by seventy two feet long if you imagine I don't know where you get your gas but if you imagine a gas station where they have these um, where they have these awnings you know when you drive underneath to get your gas mm-hmm. uh, that that will give you a rough idea of, of what it looks like uh-huh. but remember that it doesn't you don't lose that real estate, right? If you want to scan, you dry, you go into the scanner. If you don't, you can go through it. It doesn't doesn't take any real estate out of service at a port.
0: The truck does have does have to stop moving at some point when it enters this, this space, right? It stops for the amount of time the scan is required to be carried out.
1: Yes, and that's and in Freeport we put it where the trucks have to stop to clear customs, so we don't add anything to the to
0: yeah. the uh, surreal processing. If you're talking about a large port complex like L.A. Long Beach or New York, New Jersey or the like, how many of these things would have to be in place? I can't, I can't imagine you'd have this single bottleneck choke, choke point for every single container in that large port area it has to go through this one, one port, right? Or is it that uh, easy to do? do you, how many of these do you need?
1: It depends on uh your volume. So uh, you know, ports typically operate twenty hours a day, um, fifty weeks a year. If you just sort of do the arithmetic and figure roughly a minute <clears throat> per scan, that's about four hundred and twenty thousand operations. So it depends on you know what the volume is at the port. Uh it can also be configured in a in a mobile configuration uh where uh you could just drop the container, not you don't know, have to drive the whole truck through it. So we have flexibility in that regard also.
0: Well, how would you move the container through it if it wasn't on a truck uh, chassis? Would it all, you know, one of the lifters or yard yeah, hustlers? Yeah, you
1: put, the, yeah, or, you put or, the you put the scanner where the where the containers come off the ship, and just do it there before you move
0: them around. So it would, that would be before the containers say before they got into an intermodal yard, like even a non dock intermodal yard. This would actually be on the pier. Is that is that yeah? The you most could do that yes. yep. Location of it.
1: Yeah, for example, you, you know, you offload the containers uh, with a crane, drop them onto the scanner, and then uh, whether you're using straddle carriers or bomb carts or whatever it is at that particular location to move them either to the intermodal yard or into the stacks, um, pick them up after it's been scanned.
0: Even the 45 seconds, you know, which is the best time, obviously, it could take longer and the like. But, I mean, do you have people questioning whether this is feasible given the fact that, for instance, at L.A. Long Beach right now and other West Coast ports, congestion is already so heavy? Uh, whether or not it has anything to do with the labor issues of the moment, I'm not sure. But there's so much congestion in ports, I can imagine someone saying, we couldn't – you know, yet another step that would take even another minute or two out of our time would just be fatal to an operation that's already in gridlock. What would you say to that?
1: Well, um, if you, if, if scanning things for threat materials is not a priority priority, then I, you know, I guess I understand their objection. If you, if you think it's important enough that we ensure that stuff doesn't come into the country, then you know, there's going to be some inconvenience. But if we if we do the analysis and look at how they operate the ports and how they un, unload the vessels, unload and load the vessels, um, you know we don't. If, you, if you're going to entire, unload an entire vessel, we add one minute to the entire load or unload. We don't. It, it's not that onerous
0: once you do the system analysis. It would seem to make sense that if you're going to have the system up and running, you should have it at every major port. The idea that, you know, like one port, L.A. would have it, but Long Beach wouldn't or Oakland wouldn't or something like that. Do you foresee a, a possible system whereby this would actually be a mandated type of technology at all major port points?
1: You know, I can't speak for the government. A mandate like that would have to be from the government, but we certainly enable that. If you want to scan everything, you you know, it's pretty hard to do that with active systems. So, so we think you can do it with this technology, and you know, I would hope that they will come to that conclusion.
0: What further types of technological development do you think are called for in this system, or is the system uh, at a point where it needs no additional kind of a tinkering with?
1: The system is ready to go now. Um, we obviously have a, an R&D plan uh, out several years in the future, and a lot of things we want to work on. So we will continue development and enhancements over the life of the system. One example is as we detect certain materials, we're going to collect those signatures and build libraries of the signatures that helps the operational utility of the system uh, downstream. So we'll continue to do that. But uh, we, we hope we'll be doing development on this sort of technology for a long time
0: to come. I assume that the data that is generated by the scanning as a, as a container passes through this system would be immediately available. Would it be a, a you know part of the automated commercial system of U.S. Customs and the like, or would it have would would they have to go get that data and have it not be quite so connected?
1: no it, it's immediately available and uh in this system the data the uh the imagery it comes from statistics from data it's not a it doesn't produce a raw image so uh, when we talk about um, scanning containers what we're pr- what we're outputting is is data right it's it's digital so you can collect data files and send them anywhere you want it's pretty low bandwidth and uh, uh unlike you know trying to to transmit a pixelated image, so um, that facilitates real-time sort of access to the data, and also analysis. You don't need to do the, you know, analysis at the primary scan location.
0: When it comes to this technology, are you really the only game in town, or do you have competition out there that utilizes the same kind of uh, system?
1: Uh, the, I think there's a variety of research going on in uh, in charged particle detection, but I as to my knowledge, we're the only folks that have a an operational system.
0: Well, it sounds like potentially this could be an answer to a long-held controversy on the issue of scanning and protecting our nation against threat materials within containers and trailers and the like. So, Dr. Stanton Sloan, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Bob. It was a pleasure talking to
0: you. That was my conversation with Dr. Stanton Sloan of Decision Sciences International Corporation, explaining the technology behind his company's system for scanning containers for contraband and terrorist threats. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine.